0: But I'd like to take up the two distinct but related subjects of God's gift and God's prize. And hopefully as we go through these two themes, we'll be careful enough to divide the scriptures so that we don't stumble across things that apply to God's prize as if they apply to the gift, and things that apply to the gift of God as if they're a prize. So I want to start out by... Referencing a couple of scriptures. First of all, John chapter 4 and verse 10. Where Jesus is speaking to the woman of Samaria at the well at Laveroy. And he says to her, it says John 4.10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Here we find that the gift of God is said by the Lord Jesus Christ in the inauguration of the use of that phrase in the New Testament to equal the living water. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, tells her that he is the living water. And we find that uh, all she needed to do was ask him, and he would have given it to her. So uh, the gift of God now later defined in the New Testament, if you were to look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, you would see there that the wages of sin is death, and contraindicated and contradistinguished to the wages of sin. It says that, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we find that the gift of God, offered by our Lord Jesus Christ, only through himself, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the problem we have today is that very few people want us to have a free gift. They want us to earn salvation, they want us to work for salvation, or, or worse than that maybe, or just as badly as that maybe, they want to take salvation away from us. So I want to discuss a little bit of how the gift of God comes and how salvation actually works. And let me take up first what may seem to be a very controversial statement. And I want you to listen to me carefully. I don't want anybody to get me out of context and to say that i said something i didn't say but let me let me just say that there is no such thing as a salvation that is unearned let me repeat that there is no such thing as a salvation that is unearned now those who are my friends in the scriptures might say my goodness that is the about the worst anti-gospel thing you can say But I think we throw around uh, the freeness of salvation and forget to point out that salvation is free to me, but Jesus Christ earned salvation, he obtained salvation for us the old-fashioned way, he earned it. And so salvation, while a free gift to me, is not something unmerited. It is merely unmerited by me. And because salvation is earned, it therefore is qualified to be given away freely. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is not that he waved a magic wand or persuaded God that righteousness is something else, or somehow says you're okay and I'm okay because we're both sinners. It's nothing like that. God did not change his standard, neither did he become unrighteous as to call our wickedness all right or okay. Jesus Christ came and earned salvation. And he, earned, he, he, he first of all, in order to earn salvation, needed to be qualified to earn salvation for another. After all, I'm unqualified to earn salvation for you. I would first have to earn salvation for myself in order to qualify to earn it for you because I am in need of a Savior. The reason I'm in need of a Savior is because I'm a sinner. The penalty due my sins is my life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and so I deserve to die because I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ is no sinner. He never was a sinner. Not only did Jesus Christ never sin. He could not sin. Let me tell you, friends, he's impeccable. He's the Word of God made flesh. He's God Almighty in a body. And so he came first to qualify as one who could earn salvation because he needed no salvation himself. There are those out of my childhood who claim somebody else was sinless. I was raised a Roman Catholic right here in Omaha, and I was taught in uh, under Romanism that Mary, the mother of Jesus, never sinned. That was the erroneous and actually horrible doctrine that's called the Immaculate Conception by the Roman Church, that Mary never sinned. Well, Mary, when she learned she was going to be the, the mother of her Lord, said that in her Magnificat, said that she rejoiced in God her Savior. Let me tell you, friends, only a sinner needs a Savior, and every sinner needs a Savior. And a Savior needs to not be subject to death himself. The Lord Jesus Christ made this very clear when he walked the earth, that he was not subject to death, but that death was subject to him. He said this, no man can take my life from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. There are others who have claimed such power or who have have wanted such power or lusted for such power. I understand uh, the so-called great magician Houdini predicted that if death could be escaped, he would find a way to escape it and he would come back and show himself. Well, I don't know who's still waiting to see him, but Houdini is dead, Buddha is dead, Muhammad is dead, all religious leaders are dead, The Lord Jesus Christ is alive, showed himself alive to above 500 people. No one could take his life from him. He was not subject to death. Numerous occasions during his ministry, uh, his enemies attempted to take his life, but his time wasn't come, and they were prevented from doing so. When the Lord Jesus Christ did die, his death on the cross... He gave up his life. No man took it from him. If he did not lay his life down, he'd still be walking around 2,000 years later. But he laid his life down. He said, Father, finally he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He laid his life down. And three days later, he took it back up and showed himself alive with many infallible proofs to over 500 eyewitnesses. So the Lord Jesus Christ who is the way the truth and the life who who has eternal life in himself and gives it to whom he will has earned eternal life personally and has power to give it out and this is the fundamental truth of of salvation by god through jesus christ it is not about that he made a way for us to follow it is that he is the way and he is the life and in him is eternal life so how does this salvation work sometimes we're we're taught about the salvation of god and we believe that it's just like some indulgent grandfather and let me tell you i understand indulgent grandfathers i have 16 grandchildren of my own i have two coming and I know what it is to be an indulgent grandfather and to merely overlook the faults of your, of your children or grandchildren. But that is not what God has done with salvation. Salvation actually works. Salvation is actually a right thing. And uh, here's how it works. Uh, let me first introduce it the way the Bible does. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, salvation works, but it doesn't work by works. Salvation works on a principle, and it is this principle which remains in pl- which has been introduced in the person of Christ and has remained in place for 2,000 years, and that principle is this one, grace through faith. Now, that principle, grace through faith, is the one uh, only, and the it is the one and only principle by which salvation can be received. And I would also submit to you this: it is the only logical way for salvation to work. the The Bible says in Colossians two, verse six: "In the way you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk you in Him." That principle, grace through faith, also continues for the for the walk of the Christian. But let me let me first now look at the details of how that works, how grace through faith actually is logically applied uh, to the believer according to the Scriptures. And I want to look at a passage that lays this out in some detail and try to inspect it a bit carefully. And that passage is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. And it reads as follows. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one man, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. This is a very complicated passage, and it uh, takes some some careful thinking to break it apart, and I want to do a little of that. First of all, let's, understa- let's know this part of the good news, that one way that we can understand how salvation works is to understand how sin works. Uh, God has uh, designed this for our benefit, that if we can just understand how it is that we're sinners, we can understand how it is that God will save us. And um, that's one thing we can all understand, how it is that we're sinners. I have a little dog that I like. It's my dog. And uh, there's there no question when, that, when I got that dog, there's no question how it was going to behave. I didn't know anything about the dog. The dog just showed up at my door, brought the dog into my house. But I knew from the time I saw the dog that that dog was going to bark and that dog was going to beg for food and that dog was going to do all kinds of other kinds of dog behavior. And that dog proved itself to be a dog by barking, begging for food, and doing dog-like behavior. You also prove out that you're a human being when you sin. You prove that it, not just not that you're a human being only, but that you're a sinner, because sinners sin. And how do we know that a little baby is going to sin? We know that the the little baby, the moment that that little baby is born, is going to just start sinning, and going to end up sinning a lot through its entire life, because that baby is born. Of two sinful parents. That is to say, that child and you have the nature of sin. You have a nature to sin, and you prove you have a nature to sin by sinning. That's when the. That's why it's true when the Bible says, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." The one man by whom sin entered into the world and I'll point out that that's the world that now is the one man is Adam by Adam sin entered into the ordered universe the ordered world and death came by sin the one of the one of the aspects of the of the lie that satan told eve and that uh, that she bought was god had told eve in the day that you eat of the fruit Dying, you will die. Satan said to her, "Thou shalt not die and that's the first the first part of uh, Satan's lie. The first lie that Satan gave mankind was that you would not die due to sin. Men still believe that there's a way to beat death i I remember when John Wayne was diagnosed with cancer. And he went into remission, he said, "I licked the big sea. I've known other men who say they've they've whipped their diseases, and they've they, they've survived, but let me tell you, no one has survived death. Death has entered into the world death by sin, and sin has passed upon all men in that all men have sinned. So sin came into the world through a single parent, and sin has passed on through the single parent, actually sin passed on genetically. You could say it's passed on genetically. It's passed on in the nature of the man. Dogs bark, cats meow, sinner sin. And we're all sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ did not receive the Adamic nature through a, a, a Father Adam, or uh, uh, genealogically then through Noah. The Bible tells us, that Abraham begot Isaac, our Lord Jesus Christ, unique among men, the only one of his kind, as the Bible says, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a woman, had no father, uh, no human father, no earthly father, but the Holy Ghost, overshadowing Mary, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ being conceived in the womb, which which is a miraculous conception in itself, the Lord Jesus Christ had God for his father, and the Adamic nature of sin he did not have. So by one man, but, but, but Adam, who is the progenitor of the, of the human race, naturally speaking, did sin, and through his, through his uh, genealogy, sin was passed on to every man and every woman that comes into the world. So while this is a problem for the entire human race, the question now becomes insofar as all have sinned, is there a remedy and how can that remedy work? And the answer is there is a remedy, but it is not within the, the remedy does not fit within the realm of human sinners. The remedy must come from the outside by the one who never sinned. It must come by the intervention of God. And just as sin passed on to all men through Adam, so grace, the free gift of God, can pass on to, can pass on to all men through the righteousness of one man. But that necessitates a new creation in Jesus Christ. So the so the Bible teaches, and not as it is in Romans five verse sixteen. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So the Lord Jesus Christ, coming into the race, and and yet being God Almighty, not tainted by sin, not of the Adamic nature, he was not the second Adam, as many have said. He was the second man, and he was a new man, a new mankind. And constituted in Christ is a new mankind, created after Jesus Christ in righteousness. Now, how does this work? Well, salvation coming into Christ cannot work naturally according to the flesh because of the failure of sinful man. And so, salvation is a very mysterious and great work. Salvation in Jesus Christ, which is by grace through faith alone, must be a miraculous work of God. And that's why the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if any man is in Christ, there is a new creation. That is to say, God actually miraculously intervenes and creates a new man, though not visibly, creates a new man in Christ. This remarkable, miraculous work is not visible. It's interesting today that people are interested in seeing visible, miraculous works of power and signs and wonders. The Bible says an evil and adulterous generation looks for that, when in fact the great work of God that is not to be seen with the eyes but is to be experienced by one who believes in Jesus Christ is how the salvation of God comes through simply trusting in the work that I've described of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now... That God must give freely. After all, the sinner's defect keeps him from doing any earning, for he is under a curse to die himself. He cannot, he cannot earn anything, being condemned, uh, being a condemned person. He cannot earn anything for himself that uh, will make him not a sinner. But he must be created anew, and so this is no surprise. In fact, this is not, not merely not a surprise. But is the elementary teaching that the Lord Jesus Christ criticized a leader of Israel for not knowing. When Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 3, he said to him, Are you a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, a man must be born again. That's not, that's not born a second time. Nicodemus asked him, does that mean born a second time, entering into his mother's womb? The words born again do not mean born a second time, friends. It means to be born from above, to be born heavenly. Literally to be born out of heaven, to be born from above. That is to that is to experience regeneration and a new creation in Jesus Christ. I remember when I received Christ as my Savior, I was a twenty four year old man, uh, as a young fellow, really, in so many ways. And I like to tell people I think it may have been the first mature and adult thought I ever had was to to believe in Jesus Christ. And I believed in him, but I hardly knew what happened. In fact, I hardly knew what I believed, except that I believed that Jesus Christ is God Almighty, something I had uh, rejected in my sinful and shameful youth. And I began to identify myself immediately, as with God and with Jesus Christ. That consideration was new to me. And uh, as I began to read the scriptures a little bit, I realized that what happened to me is the same thing that happens to anyone who becomes a Christian, including the Apostle Peter. You may remember the passage where the Lord said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they had a brief discussion, and they said, some said you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he got specific and he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, having the courage to speak up and to say maybe what was on the mind of others as well, he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord Jesus said something interesting to him at that point. He said, Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Here I am, flesh and blood. I'm on the, I'm on the radio here, carrying the good news of Jesus Christ through enemy territory, the, the airwaves. And I'm telling you about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm trying to tell you how salvation works. And yet I realize, as the Bible teaches, and as the Lord told Peter, flesh and blood does not make that known to you. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he said, my Father in heaven. That's a wonderful thing that can happen, and it happens as people hear the word of God. Somehow, through despite their protestations, despite, despite our sin, despite our fallen reasons, despite all of our excuses, somehow God the Father still gets through to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and a new birth takes place. And... uh The Lord said uh, to to, to Simon Peter, that was the revelation of God the Father to him directly. The revelation of God the Father to Simon Peter directly was met by Simon Peter only with faith. He didn't do anything. He merely believed it. And merely believing, uh, he was saved. And being saved, he had by mere faith. And faith alone, he received the gift of God, which is eternal life. Now, some may say, well, he believed it, isn't that a work? Actually, faith is not a work, faith is merely faith. Now, many get into a a long and rather boring conversation, frankly, with, well, what kind of faith was it? Was it saving faith? Was it believing faith? Uh, Was it real faith? Was it fake faith? Was it effectual faith? Faith is faith. Faith is a very simple concept. Uh, Faith means belief. And let me tell you, friends, you do not decide what you believe. You can be the most decisive person on earth. You can uh, can consider yourself very decisive. You can consider yourself a very good decision maker. But you really cannot make a decision on what you believe. Uh, Faith doesn't come by decisions that you make. I know there are well-meaning people that talk about making decisions for Christ. I know that uh, in a certain sense they believe they decided for Christ and so forth. But really friends, faith doesn't come by a decision. If you go over to the, if if I were to offer to you uh, a great reward for believing something, uh, that uh, you, you could not achieve that that great reward. If I told you that I'll give you $100,000 if you believe that the Nebraska Cornhuskers won the national championship last year, try as you might to believe it. You'd just have to lie to me if you told me that you thought they actually did. As as much as you might want to believe it, as hard as you want to decide that and as instantly as you want to decide that, you cannot decide that you believe that because faith does not come by decisions that you make. Faith does not come by calculations that you make. Some faith comes without calculations whatsoever. I can honestly tell you, after all the years I've used it, I do not understand how electricity works. My goodness, I have no idea how this radio works, really. And yet I believe that as I'm speaking here to you, uh, my voice is going out over airwaves, and as you're driving home from work in your car, you can hear me. Uh, That faith did not come by a decision. That faith that I have about that is not a decision that I've made. It is not a calculation. It is not a set of reasoning that I've made. But it's faith nonetheless. Now the Bible tells us that faith in Christ comes only one way. And it's a very simple way. Faith comes by hearing. Romans chapter 10 tells us. And that particular hearing that it's talking about is hearing the word of God. Whatever... Whatever way, uh, whatever circumstances surround uh, a Christian when he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as simple as this, I heard the word of God about our Lord Jesus Christ and about the salvation that he offers, and I believed it. Now, the, the gift of God, eternal life, comes simply that way. You hear the word of God, you hear about the work that Jesus Christ did, how that he died, on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and you believe in him that is a simple uh, way even a fool cannot err in that way believe in the Lord Jesus Christ thou shalt be saved that's as simple as it gets I'm thinking now of the Philippian jailer who is described in the book of Acts chapter 16 who found jailed uh, persons charges that were given to him. So if if a, jail, a, jail, a jailer was personally responsible to keep his jailed uh, persons, uh, to present them to a court, it's when, he, when the time was called. The Philippian jailer had, among others in his care, the Apostle Paul. And when they were in jail in Philippi, an earthquake suddenly struck and all the cells were, were unlocked. Many people say that was a miraculous earthquake that the earthquake struck and that it was a miracle that all their chains fell off. Let me tell you, friends, that wasn't the miracle. The miracle in Philippi came when all those chains fell off and the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself, assuming that all of those, all of his charges, Paul and and, and other real criminals, were going to run out on him and his life would be required, so he might as well kill himself. And the apostle said to him, do yourself no harm, we're all here. Let me tell you, the miracle there was that they were all still there despite the fact that their chains had all fallen off. And that Philippian jailer, knowing a serious moment was upon him and knowing that he was facing certain death, said to them, Sirs, literally lords, from his understanding, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you, friends, it's not that often that such serious thoughts come across your mind. It's not often that you seriously consider your own condition like the Philippian jailer did. He had a remarkable condition that laid it out for him. I'm going to die. I need to be saved from the penalty due my sins. These are things we all instantly understand as we consider our mortality and as we consider the deep-seated guilt that is upon our minds upon our hearts. Oh, we may have all kinds of ways to distract ourselves or assuage ourselves to deal with our guilt, but the fact is, we have all sinned and we all have such guilt that it's upon us. And occasionally, every once in a while, occasionally, we have the serious thought like the Philippian jailer did when he suddenly saw his life pass before his eyes and he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you, he needed to know an answer. He needed to know the complete answer. they, They couldn't give this man any hedges or anything else. He was about to kill himself. And the answer that he was given, very simple, very complete, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Period. He didn't need to do anything else. And people say, well, that's so easy. That's too simple. Let me tell you something. Salvation wasn't simple for the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't simple for him. He's the one that suffered the penalty for your sins. He's the one who was beaten, who was abused, who in silence took false accusation against himself. He took your accusation, the one that, the, the one that, was, that it is due you. He took that accusation upon himself. He substituted for you in the accusation of sin. He substituted for you in the penalty due sin. He substituted for you in every way, taking upon himself your sins and my sins. So don't say it's too easy to simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because the question is who is it easy for? It wasn't easy, it's easy for you, but it's not easy for him. Let me tell you, when I have my children, and my grandchildren over to my house for dinner it's very easy for them to eat they just show up they sit down and they eat to their hearts content and it's just that simple and they may say well eating is very easy having a nice meal is very easy and they can say that because they did not have to earn the means to feed them to feed themselves i earned it so it was easy for them but it may not have been easy for me in that in that sense Well, it wasn't easy for the Lord Jesus Christ to go and get salvation for you the old-fashioned way. He genuinely earned it. And for you to despise the work that he did by refusing to accept the the, the free gift of God adds insult to your sinful injury. Now, some say, well, if, if I can't decide what I believe then why am I responsible for not believing? Well, I don't have a good argument for you except what the Bible says. The Bible explains to me why we do and do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what it says? It says that that people do not believe because they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I know we like to think good about people, and there's a, it's a popular saying today, there's a little good in everybody. That isn't true, by the way. The Bible says all have sinned, men are wicked. Your heart, my heart, desperately wicked. Even beyond our own considerations, we can surprise ourselves with the level of our own wickedness. The reason that we don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ isn't because we don't understand. It isn't because God didn't do for us what he needed to do for us. He did everything for you that he needed to do. The reason that you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't believe, is that you love darkness rather than light. And the reason that you do that, your deeds are evil, and you des- you desire your evil deeds in darkness instead of this wonderful way of salvation. So I clear this matter, and I, and I just summarize it with this. The gift of God is eternal life. It's a simple thing. A child can't err in that. Even a fool cannot err in that way. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you be saved, and you have eternal life. And here's the wonderful thing. Eternal life given to you at that moment that you believe is that which cannot be lost because it was given. You did nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. Jesus Christ gave you eternal life, it's what he does, he would have to be the one who loses it for you, and he's not about to do that. Jesus Christ, if he never did sin, he never will sin, he never did fail, he never will fail, he's still alive, he doesn't change, and so the the gift of God, secure with him, even if in jeopardy with you, it's secure with him, and so... Eternal life is something that you can merely have. And I recommend that you, that you go ahead and receive that gift if you haven't already. But my purpose is not merely to explain the gift of God, which is eternal life, but to also counter-distinguish uh, something else uh, that God offers beyond eternal life, and that is the prize of the calling on high in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between a, pr- a gift and a prize. A gift is something that is given uh, by another based on no attainment whatsoever uh, on the part of the recipient. Now, I, I don't want to say that a prize is something that's earned, because a prize actually is well beyond being earned. A prize is not something that is earned, it is something that is won. It's hard for me to to say that if someone wins, for example, wins a a track meet, wins in a track meet, say, for example, the world's fastest human, and he runs a 100-meters dash and he wins that, that he actually earned in something less than 10 seconds that he actually earned perhaps millions of dollars that will be bestowed upon him uh, for having uh, won the prize of being the world's fastest human, it isn't that he earns it, but it is that he wins it. And th- and that is a very different thing in the Christian life. This now the, pri- the the gift of God applies to all human all human beings, all sinners. All you need to do to qualify to get the gift of God is be a sinner, uh, even if you don't admit it. You still qualify. Uh, to, to, have, to, to receive the gift of eternal life, because any sinner can be given that. But the prize of God is something that is only offered to Christians. It is only offered to those who have already eternal life. And the prize, contrary to the gift of God, is not a present possession of anyone, and there are two scriptures that the Apostle Paul points to about the prize that I'll that I'll read to you out of the scripture that are counterindicative vis a vis the gift of God which is eternal life. The first scripture that I'll read is first Corinthians nine verse twenty four Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. Now, the scripture talks about sitting, the scripture talks about walking, the scripture talks about standing, and the scripture talks about running. And uh, all of those verbs are to be the occupation, the the meditation of, of, of of a believer in Jesus Christ. The first thought I want to give you is sitting. Sitting. The book of Ephesians teaches us this. We are, If we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places. Now, why does it say we're seated in the heavenly places? It says that because our Lord Jesus Christ has set, has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. You know, when when our Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth, There were those that saw him on the earth, that saw him physically. Uh, We have no, and God saw to this, that we have no understanding of exactly what it is he looked like. That picture that maybe some of you have hung up in your house, my recommendation, burn that thing, get rid of it. That picture that that has been so popularized around the world, I think some Italian painted it or something, that's not him. I don't know what he looks like uh, exactly, except as it's described in the scripture, where it's given in in uh, really symbol form in in uh, uh, in the book of the Revelation, but I I don't know what he looks like, but I tell you he doesn't look like that sissy that's in that picture that people hang up all over the place. Uh, he didn't he didn't look like that. I don't know who that sissy is, but it's not our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to many. They knew him. They knew his brothers. They knew his his mother. They knew his family. But it's interesting that the Apostle, in writing to the Corinthians, said, If we knew the Lord Jesus Christ after the flesh, we know him not that way anymore. God saw to it that every child of God uh, was put on the basis of faith with respect to their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that faith is not sight. Whatever it is you can see, that's not faith. Uh, so, faith is not sight, so if, you ha- if you'd if like to have pictures of some guy on your wall and you want to call that Jesus, let me assure you that's not faith, and it's not pleasing to God. The only way to please God is what? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And don't tell me that you believe that that's Jesus and so that's pleasing. Faith is not sight. And if you want to see the Lord Jesus Christ, you are limited to see Him by the Scriptures. Why am I saying all this? Because God saw to it that we were all, including the apostles, put on the basis of faith with respect to to our Lord Jesus Christ. While they saw him rise up into the clouds and the clouds receive him, they did not see him in his full ascension and glory. They did not see him glorified in the heavens. For this, we must turn to the scriptures. We have the book of Hebrews that said, that he was glorified and set down at the right hand of of God the Father. That he that he it was said to him. The Lord said to my Lord, as David, as the Lord challenged the Pharisees, was on the earth. Who's this Lord that th- that David was talking about when he said the Lord said to my Lord? We find out it actually was the Lord Jesus Christ when that scripture was fulfilled, and the Lord Jesus Christ was sat down at the right hand of God the Father when at that invitation. And th- that further, that not only did he sit down at the right hand of God the Father as a man, as a human being, but he was elevated and exalted above the angels. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just come to show us the way or just to be our Savior. He did come to be the way and to be our Savior, but he also came to elevate a new race of humanity above the angels. Here we are below in the bodies of this humiliation. We walk the earth subject to death. We're decaying. Uh, despite the fact that I tell my wife I'm as good looking as ever, aren't I, honey? And she'll maybe say, uh, yeah, she'll lie to me. Uh, the fact is we're, we're falling apart. We're decaying every day. This mortal must put on immortality because it is so mortal and fragile. Uh, this corruptible must put on incorruption, because every day we are decaying, and not only physically, but do you know that every day morally we also decay? Uh, we are just uh, uh, we are just a, a passing fancy. But the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to fix us up, or to help us out, or to give us longevity. The Lord Jesus Christ came to constitute a new humanity. And elevate that new humanity to a place it has never been, and that place where it's never been is above the angels. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his, in his work, cleansed the heavenly places as he passed through them, and it was said to him at at the throne of God, "Let all the angels worship him." I tell you, friends, he did way more. And merely show us the way, and he did way more than merely give us eternal life He gave us uh, a, he constitutes in himself a new humanity that he desires to exalt above the angels above the angelic host now the, all this is known only on the basis of faith in God's Word, whereas the apostles could see the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection. The Lord said to Thomas, he said, "Put your hands." Put your fingers in my hands. Handle me and see that is I myself. Put your hand in my side. And then Thomas responded by saying, My Lord and my God. And the Lord said to him, Blessed are you because you've seen, but more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And finally, Thomas and the apostles were all put on the basis of faith as they needed to believe the truth concerning the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the heavens. Well, all of this and from the Lord's exalted place and from his purpose in constituting a new humanity and the exploration of what that means for the Christian, all of this is not wrapped up merely in the gift of God which is eternal life, but this is also wrapped up in the prize that that, that the Lord offers. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, where he said, Know ye not which all, all, that they all which run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize, he now points out not that eternal life is in jeopardy, but that the prize of the Christian calling is in jeopardy. But I, I get ahead, and we have the week to look at this. Let's consider now, we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ, where he is set down at the right hand of God let's consider a second thing. Not only are we seated, but we also are called to walk, to walk with him. The testimony of God in the world has always been one simple thing, and that's men walking. When the children of Israel uh, crossed over the Red Sea and and and, uh, came to the River Jordan. Now, uh, by the time they were in the River Jordan, uh, by the time they came to the Promised Land under Joshua, they had the Ark of the Covenant, and the Levites were told to carry that Ark of of the Covenant, as ornate as it was, overlaid with gold, made out of excellent wood. The way that that was carried was not, it wasn't motorized, it it wasn't uh, to be done, uh, it wasn't to be pulled by a cart, uh as uh, as the israelites uh, did at one point making a mistake it was to be carried by men on foot and uh, that's a picture of what god wants god has his testimony as they just as they carried the ark of the covenant god's testimony before men is men walking and so we're just as we're seated in the heavenly places in christ jesus we're also called to walk the principle that we're called to walk on the principle by which we walk is the same one in which we've received Christ Jesus the Lord. And this is where uh, many Christians do, do err. Uh, they, they 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 have their principle changed. Ordinarily, by the way, Christians have their principle changed from the time that they've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, where they've received a free gift by the grace of God. They find a different principle because it's taught to them. And it's taught to them by those who... Either aren't qualified to teach or who are who wickedly devise a strategy to mislead them. But they abandon that wonderful simple principle by which we received our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the principle of by grace through faith. So in the book of Colossians, we're told to walk in the same way that we received Jesus Christ our Lord, so walk ye in him on the basis of grace through faith. Finally <clears throat> Uh before we're taught to, to, to uh run, we're told also, again in the book of Ephesians, we're told to stand. So we're we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We walk by grace through faith, and we can just we can just shorten that to say that we walk by faith, really. We walk according to faith. Faith only comes one way, faith only comes through hearing the word of God. And finally, we're called to stand. And what we're called to stand against is the angelic conflict. And when we talk about the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, we we intend to talk all about the angelic conflict. Well, that's all I'm going to carry on for today. We'll continue to take up this theme.